0: certainly, certainly, we are facing a time that probably none of us ever dreamed these details would be, especially with this virus. Uh, I remember uh, as the reporting of the seriousness of this uh, began to happen, we were getting a new driveway. Now, what I mean by that is that's a half-mile-long driveway, so we couldn't... It begin to afford that much cement or that much asphalt. But what we have is recycled asphalt laid down like gravel. And then it gets hard again and kind of becomes like a road. We got off that muddy thing. It was a blessing. But the man that was contracting that work and doing it for us, as we began to talk about this coronavirus, he said, do you, either of you happen to even know anybody who has it or has had it? Well, it just had become serious, and the answer right then was no. But currently with this second wave, you'll be pretty much a stand-alone person if it hasn't come a whole lot closer to your home and your family this time around. Um, there's all kinds of speculation associated with this and everything, every move that's made in our country these days, but uh, the truth that we can count on is that it has come closer to home this time around been pretty, pretty difficult. I um, <clears throat> saw some things in the bulletin. I'd like to ask a couple of questions. Um, on the back, it says upcoming events, prophecy training every Tuesday at 6.30, followed by prayer meeting at 7.30. Can somebody answer me if I ask the question, how many are coming? Are there many? It varies. It varies. When it's the best, is it very many? Okay. Okay. Uh, Vespers Friday night at 7. Is that well attended? I guess it kind of depends on what you call well attended, huh? I guess there's, I saw both answers on that one. Okay. Well, <clears throat> that's interestingly enough, friends. My uh, entire time of preaching has been dominated by the fact that there are plenty, plenty of preachers to tell us that the world's coming to an end and about the prophecies found in the books of Daniel and Revelation. And God has used me during all that time to point back to Calvary and God's love for man and the sinner's need for Christ and these basic fundamental things that probably could have been preached in most any, at least, Protestant church. But you see, friends, now the words of jesus that we find in matthew 24 they don't seem like they could become any more uh, more true than they are right now you look around and this disease is only one thing but violent crime is up vehicular accidents natural disasters something's going on all the time and like jesus said in matthew 24 people were carried away in the flood and caught by surprise because they kept adjusting to everything that changed and continued living their lives the way they always had. He also said when he comes back, it will be the same way. People will be ready and others will be uh, experiencing something as though it was a thief in the night and they won't be ready for it. And so because of that, and because of the way the world has turned out in the last couple of years, Of course, things were building before that. But in the last couple of years, the Lord has not changed the mission that He gave me, but He certainly has added the urgency of the times in there. And we're in some serious, serious times right now. Um, There's a church in our area. There's an Assembly of God church. And when you pass by, there's a sign where you put the letters on the sign. Sort of like what you had out here. I noticed you got a new sign. I like it. Nice. But this one you could write a message on, you know. It's it's had many messages and right now currently it says, Don't believe a lie. Don't believe a lie. I started thinking about that and I thought it's interesting how easy it is to get people to believe a lie. The reason I say that is angels, who before human beings ever uh, existed, angels in heaven with much higher intelligence, especially more than sinful man, and much more supernatural ability, knew that they had been created by the Lord Jesus, by God. They knew they had been sustained by this God. And yet one rebel was able to take one out of every three angels over to his side and cause them to believe a lie. Don't believe a lie. Boy, I just wonder what went in, was going on in the mind of the person who wrote that, you know. Don't believe a lie. Well, in the Garden of Eden, what do we find there? We find that the woman is approached, she's asked the question, and her answer tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt, not a reasonable doubt, but but beyond a shadow of a doubt, she knew who her Creator was and what the answer was. So she answered back with the truth. We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the one that's in the midst, we can't eat it, neither touch it, lest we what? Die, right? But look how easy it was to convince her. Otherwise, a simple lie. No, you will not die. In fact, this tree is part of a conspiracy here. God doesn't want you to have the ability to discern the things He can. And if you eat this, you'll be able to. And she chose to believe the lie. She liked it better than what she had experienced. She knew she came from the rib of her husband and that God had formed her with His very hands and breathed into her nostrils the breath of life. But because this looked attractive, she decided to believe a lie. And so it's very easy to believe a lie. I've continued on. My Bible reading is in the book of Jeremiah. The first couple of chapters, uh, God was speaking through His prophet, saying, all this stuff that you're going through right now is because you insisted on worshiping idols. And there God calls it the works of your own hands. How on earth is anybody convinced that something made out of material can bless you and you made it up your own self. It's like sewing a doll together or something. I guess they got voodoo dolls and stuff like that, huh? But a graven image. I always thought as a child that was interesting that the second commandment was not to worship a graven image. But do you notice, beginning in the book of Judges, and it actually happened there in the wilderness on the way to from Egypt to the promised land, also. But time after time the people would turn away to man-made gods so that they could create all the conditions they want and and it never worked out very well for them, did it? That's interesting. Don't believe a lie, they said, you know. Well, I'll tell you something, friends. You, You heard the scripture reading today and you heard how Jesus describes the heart of mankind. little review on that. Jesus said in Matthew 24, before he returns... Things will be like they were before the flood, right? Now he goes on to say it's because everyone will continue living the way they always had and be caught off guard and be taken away. Okay? But the Bible in the book of Genesis in the sixth chapter tells us about the condition of man and about some of the things it said about the heart of human beings. There it is said that if the flood was necessary, God believed it was time to cut off all flesh <clears throat> Because the imag- every imagination of every thought of the heart of man was only evil continually. If you don't think we're getting very close to that right now, you must be asleep. Only evil continually. But listen to this. The flood came and went. Eight people had done the right thing. <clears throat> Eight people had survived the flood. They represented all humanity. And when they sacrificed... The Bible said God smelled the smoke and it was a sweet smell to him. And he said then, I'll never again cut off all flesh with a flood. Because the imagination of man's heart... Who's he talking about? Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives. The imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Prophet Jeremiah writes about the human heart and says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. And we find, I heard this, another preacher told me this. No, I guess he told everybody there. But the the more accurate translation into English would would have been to say incurable. But it sounded so hopeless that the King James translators used another application that gave us desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. So Jesus talking to the people... There who had seen the disciples. We just talked about it in Sabbath school. Having grabbed the wheat and done this work on the Sabbath day. And also eaten without washing their hands. So here was the criticism. These are the laws that were invented back during the, the, um, the exile. And they're not part of the Ten Commandment law. And so Jesus said No. What comes out of the mouth is what defiles the man because the mouth is speaking what's in the heart. And then that horrible list of things that our brother read out is what's in the heart of man. And i tell you something today, friends. It's a transformation of our hearts that God is looking for. Do you understand? In that lake of fire are going to be people who were so disciplined that you probably lusted after them, not in the wrong kind of way, but wish that you had been more diligent about your and they're going to be on the wrong side of that thing. They're going to be ready to go into the lake of fire. Why? Because they did everything that they see on the surface through their own strength. I'm going to tell you right now, an addict stays addicted so long, not only because the body keeps crying out for him to continue, but way back in their mind is the thought that someday, someday I'll have the desire enough to quit and that someday don't ever come and even for those who have overcome and they think they did it in their own strength God still was the one that gave them the power remember the lord said my strength is made perfect in weakness you want to go out and face the devil friends with a heart that which, which the imagination of that heart is evil from our youth you want to go out there and face an adversary who has all this supernatural power. And you want to do that in your own power, you will fail. You will continue to fail, and it'll probably get worse. But something changes when we say, "Lord, I can't." You must. And he will. He will come to the rescue. He will indeed begin to give you the power to overcome sin. Our scripture in, the, in one of the Corinthian letters there that tells us that something that people misquote all the time nowhere in the Bible does it say God's not going to put anything on you that you can't handle. It says he's not going to allow you to be tempted above what you can handle. And, there, and the reason say, uh, is but, uh, in the same passage there is that because with the temptation God will give us a way out. A means of escape. You know what I've found? That if I remember that verse and remember God's promise, He is that way out. And to change our mind back on Him gives us the ability to overcome that temptation. But by ourselves, we cannot. And we've struggled with these concepts for a long time. The reason I'm telling you this, friends, is the Lord is coming very soon the Lord is coming very soon. And if we're just doing things out of discipline and habit that we've done for years and years, if what we're doing is not because our hearts have been changed by His love, if indeed there has been no transformation of the heart, but it's what we want to do because it's right, the Bible says it'll be filthy rags. I want you to know, friends, when you became a Christian, God had a specific ministry or a a, a variety of ministries in mind for you. Many people don't want to hear that. When I was a kid, preachers started talking like what I'm telling you right now, I just want to get out of there. He's going to want us to do something. I don't need to do something. I was baptized in the right church. Pastor Harrison, Arkansas, he gives the, he gives the um, uh, account of what happened when he became a Seventh-day Adventist. He converted from Roman Catholicism. He was a deacon. And his pastor came to him and said, I, I've started a Bible study, but I'd like for you to pick it up and finish it. And so Dan said, I'd love to. Thank you. But he said, I do have one question. pastor says, what's that? He said... Um, There's people in your church that have been in there and been part of the church for 25 and 30 years. Why didn't you ask them? He said, because they've been in the church 25 or 30 years. They don't need to do anything because they're already going to heaven. They made that right choice. You know, that's just as bad, just as bad as saying once saved, always saved. And boy, you say that around an Adventist church, people get really nervous. But I'm going to say something right now. Jesus told Nicodemus, if a man is not born again, he cannot enter, cannot see the kingdom of heaven. This statement goes with that. If indeed you have been born again, yes, you may live any way you want to. Good. Because a transformed heart wants to do what pleases God. A transformed heart cannot stand the thought of harming He who hung on the cross for us, not even one second longer. And the desires of your heart will be to do good. Now you don't just say the words, "I accept Jesus" and don't give up your sinful lifestyle. But it doesn't matter how bad you are; God will run to you and start that that relationship right then and there. So I was given a Bible study. I was giving a Bible study to a couple, baptized them a little bit later, but the lady came and she said, I, I want to say something about the Sabbath. This, this was going to be a rebaptism. The girl had been exposed to the church and been in the church, but drifted away. Wanted to come back with her husband and be baptized. We did it the traditional way. We gave her the Bible studies. <clears throat> when we talked about the Sabbath, she said, I got something to say. My husband and me we we put away and we do not do many things we want to do on Sabbath. We don't do this, we don't do that, and we don't do it on Sabbath. She said, we don't have any pleasure in this, but we do it because it's right. Sometimes, my friends, when it comes to things this serious, doing something because it's right is not enough. And I told her, have you tried doing it Because you love the Lord Jesus. And it began to change their minds about this situation. I have a loved one who will not work on Sabbath. He's rewarded by that. God has kept him employed even during these times. And uh, his boss honors him. uh, His request to be off on Sabbath. But. Not working is about the only thing Sabbath-like that he will do that day, and he will do any and any of the thing, any little whim that comes that he wants to do, whether it's grocery shopping or go fishing and boat or whatever it might be. And so, you know, this is look like this is done because of a tradition. I had a grandfather. <clears throat> he joined the navy in 1920. Now They won't let you stay in there this long now. Now, I don't remember how many active enlistments he did, but after he was through with active duty, he went into the Navy Reserve and he retired from the Navy in 1965. He did 45 Navy years. He smoked L&M cigarettes. And he smoked them right and left. It was the 60s and people were beginning to figure out Cigarette smoking ain't good for you. I remember the first warning I saw on the side of a package of cigarettes. A warning, the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking may be, may be hazardous to your health. May be hazardous to your health. Now they're, they're brave enough to say we'll cause emphysema lung ca- cancer and COPD. But at the time, big tobacco companies and everything else, not going to enjoy that, but they had to put it on there may be hazardous to your health. So his doctor told him, you got to quit smoking cigarettes. Well, he did. Because he traded them in for Roytown Falcon cigars. <laughs> and he died of lung cancer at 87 years old. No telling how, mu- how long he might have lived before he died if he hadn't smoked. All those years, you know? But let me tell you what stood in his way of conversion. My grandfather believed that because he smoked, he couldn't be saved. He didn't conjure that up on his own. He got that from the people around him in the churches when he used to go to church. See, they told me that too. I'm sorry that I said they, but the reason for it is because I can't remember who told me this. I don't, if you got information from me, let me just go ahead and tell you this now. Potluck and all that, if you got information for from, from, from me and you start it with they and that's your source, don't waste your time. If it's in general just the government, I'm not interested today, especially on Sabbath, okay? But the doctor told him he's going to have to quit smoking. So he had been told that because he smoked, he couldn't be saved. He couldn't seem to get enough willpower to quit. So he lived his life expecting to be lost. We think and we hope that my grandfather possibly made his peace with God after talking to a Baptist minister. And if so, I praise, him. I praise God. I praise God. You see, there are all these things that we do, friends. But what about the heart? What about the heart? Friends, you were given an opportunity for a ministry when you became a Christian. I want to share a little bit about ministry. You know that I've served in, in a Texas prison as a preacher for 11 years. And Bernard's done it. And you just can't believe, you cannot believe the blessings that come from that. You know, I had the opportunity when we were Bible workers in Arkansas for two years for something to take place that's going to be monumental in law enforcement, I believe. And it's wonderful. <clears throat> But <clears throat> I'm losing my voice, might have to cut off here. Um, there we were, and I'm just telling you these stories because I want you to know that if you do pick up that cross, you do decide to let God direct you and give you a ministry. And I'm going to tell you making sure you got two and a half hours on Sabbath for church, that's not a ministry, friends. It's helping people outside this church. Because it was quoted today, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that's done the will of my Father. Is that expressed what that will is right then and there? Not necessarily, but in Matthew 25, the same scene is set when Jesus said, at the end, he will separate the goats from the sheep. And to the sheep, he'll say, come in and enjoy Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was sick, you came to me. I was in prison, you visited me. Do you hear me? The brother of James, James 1, 27, said now, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I have a proposition to make. If you will let God keep you busy, Visiting the father and the widow, I'm fatherless and the widow, rather, and people in need, and drug addicts, and every form of life, you will have a much easier time keeping yourself unspotted from the world, friends, because you won't have time for it. You won't have time for these things if you're busy doing what Jesus did. It's the heart. Friends, it's the heart. Today, I want to bring something to your attention. And you can find this, the beginning of it is found in the Old Testament book of Second Kings, in chapter 18. I'm going to talk about a man. Now this man, in the next few chapters there, his glory is revealed and his sad mistake is also given there. We're not going to concentrate on the mistake today because that's not where the point is. But we're going to talk about the administration of King Hezekiah. Found in 2 Kings uh, chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18, the Bible says these words. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Eli, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abba, the daughter of Zacharias. Now here comes the meat of this story. Verse 3, it says there, he did what? He did what? that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to who? I want you to say it. According to whom? Father David. He did sight he did right in the sight of of the Lord according to all that David his father did. Do you remember David? Do you remember what David did? So one time I made the mistake of talking about David being one who God referred to as a man after his own heart. And I was quickly quickly corrected that after David sinned, he was never called that again. But what I do see encourages me. We have David's psalm of repentance in Psalm 51. Here, generations later, He is the standard for the kings of Israel and of Judah. It's not the only place in the Bible. But you'll hear it said, Well, he did take away the shrines, but he did not follow me with his whole heart as did his father David. Do you understand? God loves and forgives the sinner, friend. You can't sin too much to be unforgiven. Unless you die with your last breath and have denied God all those, all that time. If you're living, you got a chance. David was the model there. Then it tells us about King Hezekiah's relationship with God because it says what he did. It says in verse 4, He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Do you remember that? He put a a snake on a pole and said, if you'll look at it, you'll be saved. And some people couldn't look at it. But others now have even made a God out of that. Because the Bible tells us there, for unto those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it. Hezekiah called it Nehushtan. And it means only a piece of brass. Verse 5 is where it is, friends. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Do you hear that? That's quite an accolade, isn't it? He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Because he trusted God like his father David says, right? For he clave unto the Lord. Friends, listen. We've got to cleave to God, we've got to stick to God. We have run out of time to f- concern ourselves with the silliness of this world. There's no more time for it. Two, three, four, five years ago, there was more time for it. There's not now. There is not now. The Lord is coming. The reason I wanted to know about prayer meeting, the reason I wanted to know about these other things, how many people are coming. Because you will make time for what's important to you. And God's house needs to be filled every time there's an excuse to open the door, friend, for us to be together and unite and strengthen one another so that when we go out, we can go and help find and save the lost, friends. He claimed unto the Lord, verse 6, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. No way he could do that. No way he could do that if he didn't have a relationship with the Lord God in heaven. And let me tell you, friends, we'll condense the story. But you'll remember what happened. Here he is, the king of Judah. He's opened the temple back up. He's made the Levites minister. He's he's brought back the feasts. And he even invented the... In, uh, invited rather the northern kingdom partake in the Passover and they laughed at him. All the stuff that he did there in God's favor and name is listed. And even when he was doing all that right, a king, an adversary showed up with a message. He sent delegates to Jerusalem so that they may speak in Hebrew in front of all the people there and said... Look around you, because our king has spared no one. No one's gods have delivered them. You see, they want to make that clear. No one's gods have delivered them from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. This is the message. Go with us, and we'll take you to a land like your own. It'll be well with you. We'll try to resist us, and we're going to annihilate you. Immediately, King Hezekiah knew one thing. He was helpless. So he called for the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah came to him. Isaiah came to him and said, God says, don't worry about it. He'll be killed in his own land and the threat will go away. You ever seen the devil just stop trying right away? He didn't stop this time either. Very soon, King Sennacherib sent a letter directly to King Hezekiah with the same statement on it. There's a great learning here for us, friends. King Hezekiah took that letter according to the Bible and he spread it out before the altar that he had reinstated in the temple that he had opened back up. And he said, This man is making a mockery of you. These are my words. Comes out to about the same. This man is making a mockery of you. And you are our God. You are the God. I cannot mount a defense against this man. I'm leaving it in your hands, all my friends, if we could leave it in God's hands. If we could only believe. If you don't leave it in God's hands, you don't think He can deliver you. Hezekiah had no choice. But you didn't see him with a last-ditch effort trying to uh, get the troops together to go out there and fight. We find out what was against them was 185,000 soldiers ready. But because King Hezekiah prayed to the God of heaven, the Bible tells us the next morning, a single angel had been through the camp of the Assyrians and slew all 185,000 soldiers. Do you know that power is available to you too, friends? But we have to approach God for these things with a broken heart that says, why on earth would you want anything to do with me? And yet my heart is melted to know that you still want me in your kingdom. And He does, friends. Our heart has to say to us, I'm no better than the guy in the ditch over there with a needle in his arm. You've got to own up to that, friends. You'll have to remember who Jesus wanted to hang out with when he was on this earth and what a difference it made for those people. A little lady from Washita Hills uh, University or college up there. In Arkansas, she told a wonderful story. In the midst of her story, it told you about her training and up, upbringing. She let a little statement go that I broke my heart, but then the story turns out wonderfully. She was canvassing, and uh, <clears throat> it took me forever to learn what canvassing was. I thought it had to do with making tents or something, you know. <laughs> i have not been, even though I've been in that, been born into the Adventist Church, all some of that terminology and stuff. I I just didn't know. He was, she was canvassing. She had one more book left. And she was waiting on her ride to come pick her up. Now she says that a lady pulled up in a car. And she began to contemplate, should I take the book to her or not? And she says because she did not look like she would be that spiritual of a person. Do you know people look at me all the time and they think they think they know which party, political party I would favor over the other one? They they just know it by the way I look, they think. I'm not for either one of them, I can tell you that. She didn't look like she would be that spiritual. She went ahead on with the book, friends. She gave her the book. And they became friends and they kept up with each other. See, because this girl went against the prejudices that she had been taught, and she had her mind stayed on Jesus Christ, she had the ability to approach. Yes, let me tell you, ministry will take you to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. There we were in Arkansas. I started to tell this. Now I'm going to finish it. We'll get out of here. We started in Arkansas. Let me tell you what happened. Our pastor would leave the district. Sometimes as long as nine weeks straight and go back to Europe. Okay? And if you know who he was, I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything bad about the guy. I'm just telling you the way he ran the church. And other times for a month, a month or so at a time. Wouldn't be even in the country sometimes. So when Christy and I got there, Bible work was a secondary thing. We had to pick up pretty much doing the pastoring of one of those churches. And it was a wonderful experience. At the same time, the county there, Sevier County, Arkansas, got a new sheriff. New sheriff and his top deputy, that top deputy is Christie's cousin. We're very proud of him. They began to look over things and realize what had happened to their community and their county because of methamphetamine. The previous sheriff and the sheriff's department had this attitude. If you're going to be f- filthy and a drug user, you're getting out of our neighborhood out of our realm and we get you off to the Arkansas Department of Corrections as quickly as we can. But the new sheriff was able to see these people kept getting out right back in the system and it never broke the cycle. He could see that prison was not helping these people. So they invented something they called the program. And if you have Discovery Plus, you can see the program and quickly what that They take candidates who are facing a long time in prison over drugs. And if they'll agree to do a 90-day intensive detox, detoxification of these drugs, they'll let them walk on their sentence. The judge is in on it too. He presents, she approves, they give them the opportunity. Now, if they've completed, but then they get arrested again, they've had their chance and they'll go to prison. But that's the very thing that took place. Well, you know, when I was there, I also got the opportunity to do uh, men's Bible study. In men's Bible study, the first time I went, we were finished. I said, now that we're praying, our eyes are closed. I said, anybody that wants to start a journey with Jesus Christ today, just raise your hand, he'll see. I think I did something similar the second time. But by the third time, when I was doing just like I am right now, I thought I was really rolling. A man stood up from the back, walked all the way down, stopped me. I said, I thought you wanted to go to prison. You want to die. No, I didn't say say anything. He said, he tears in his eyes. I can still see it too. I'm going to tell you it's tough because it's a sad story and a great story. He said, I want to get saved right now. So we laid hands on him and he made his decision to give his life to the Lord Jesus right then and there. Let me tell you something, friends. Within two more weeks, 14 more men had done this very same thing. One of them was his own son. They were in, prison, they were in jail together. And the jail administrator bought me a horse trough and one October morning in 2017, we baptized all 15 of those men. Amen. The highest of highs. They don't got nothing on cable TV that I can watch that's going to top that. They don't have a sporting event that's going to top that, friends. They don't have anything. Motorcycle come close. They don't have anything. There's nothing in this world that can come, really actually come close to having done this without ever making an invitation. Do you know you can tell that the Holy Spirit has been with you if you don't even have to make an appeal. And 15 men come down. It's the highest of highs. Saw so all these hearts transformed. Now let me tell you about the son. The son said during our Bible study, he said, when we're doing this, I'm fine. He said, if I'm reading my Bible in my cell, I'm fine. But if I'm idle too long, all I want to do is a big shot of dope. That's what he told me right then and there. Last I talked to him, do you know what he told me? That jail experience changed my life. And I haven't touched anything since then. Not substance, not alcohol. It's all substance, but he has any powdered substance, no alcohol. He quit meth and everything. These are the highest of highest, friends. So he called me in February of 2020. He said, I need you to come back to Arkansas. He said, My dad and my Uncle Willie got in an argument, and Uncle Willie took a baseball bat and he killed my dad. The lowest of lows, friends. The lowest of lows. Went back to preach that funeral. And I was preaching the funeral of a guy who hardly ever held a regular job. A guy that had used, used uh, uh, all kinds of stuff and had his, his bouts with methamphetamine. But late in his life, Instead of those things, he stood up and helped give the courage and power to other men to come forward and give their lives to the Lord Jesus. I loved doing his funeral because I could tell that story. People in the community had known him for years. Thought he didn't amount to much. He was a pretty good evangelist in my book. Just before we left, Christy and Amelia had been gone almost two months already. But just before we left, That parish, the area there got a new pastor. Here come a little guy. Real feisty. He was all the time about, man, you're going to be deep. He was always, he was wound up. Let me tell you, you ain't seen nothing if you think I'm wound up. You don't know how happy I was. I said, the Lord sent a shepherd. And I can go home now. So he started the job. In a couple of weeks, our larger church in Mena... Split on him. Didn't even give him a chance. He split. In no time, his wife had a heart attack. But first, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Then, the kids back home in West Virginia were having emotional problems and one had even attempted suicide over a boy. And so... Pastor's wife, Sue, had to go back and forth between West Virginia and Arkansas and stay gone like a month at a time. I went back for a funeral that he preached. He looked like a used up dish rag. And he stood there next to the, the hearse and he called me over and he said, Brother, I want to know what you think. And I said, About what? He said, About my ministry. And I didn't answer him fast enough, remember how he was. So he said, I want the truth. And I said, brother, I don't think I know what the truth is. I said, I don't know. He said, I'm thinking about getting out of the ministry altogether. With that much storm, I don't blame him. I said, I'll be praying for you. I can't tell you. I can't advise you either way. I said, we need a pastor here. But I understand what you're saying. Well, we went back some months later. It was on his week to preach in De Queen. He would go to the first and third Sabbaths. I couldn't believe my eyes. In a double-breasted suit looking like a Chicago gangster from the 20s. No hat. There he was. And the people responding and I couldn't believe my eyes. So I texted him the next day. I said, it looks like you've weathered the storms and God has brought you through and things are clicking and working now. He said, you're absolutely right. He began to want to talk to me at times about... Different members in the church and stuff. Should I worry about this? Is this any threat or is it okay? And so we, our, our relationship continued even though I'd come back to Texas. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was so happy. Evidently, he and his wife were happy about it too because just a few months later, they decided to take a little trip to Branson and they got sick. And about three weeks ago, Wednesday, I guess, Pastor Ron passed away from the COVID-19 virus. It's the lowest of lows and the highest of highs, friends. I am not able to tell you that everything's going to be wonderful. But let me ask you something. In the face of this thing we have going on today, would you rather die of a disease or would you rather go down as a martyr standing up for Jesus Christ? I've had a disease that was about to take my life before when I had that third stage case of cancer and what I went through to get well from it. And I remember saying at the time, if I didn't believe I had the chance because God said in my anointment uh, service that He was going to save me, and if I wasn't this young, I ain't doing this. I'd rather die. I'd go down, I'd rather die I'd go down in a blaze of glory some kind of way. Friends, let me tell you, all this comes to you have a ministry. If you don't know what it is, let me tell you where you find out. On your knees. And as a church, you've got to come on prayer meeting. You've got to come to Vespers. If they're having it, get here. I understand about work, work got me this blah blah blah. Friends, the time is running out. You you don't understand? <clears throat> that was an excuse maybe thirty years ago. It's it's not good now. Excuses don't work. Remember in the garden? The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Didn't work, right? When Jesus comes, well, I, I just never made it much because I was working. Ain't going to help. And that work's not the only thing. People stay home and watch TV. No, we need to be together, friends. We need to keep those hearts together so that they are transformed. Then the Lord tells us if we drink of that living water, He talked about in John 4, that it will become in us a well of water springing into eternal life. And you help other people to the foot of the cross. There is no more time to be shy and timid, friends. Because let me tell you, right now a mass of Christians are being united in our country. Do you think they're being united on humanitarian things. Do you think what do you think it's this over political things? This is the thing that our Bible and our messenger told us about would be coming. There would be a religious system that would invoke the mark of the beast and everything else. The truth of God's word needs to be shed like a light, friends. It needs to be given out there. And if we can't do it, we need to start on our knees. And before any ambitious programs are dreamed up, we need to be together in church on our knees. And God will answer. He will tell you exactly what He wants you to do. Last little thing. I've got a new part of my ministry. I take my motorcycle. I wear my motorcycle garb. And I go to the Walmart there in Cleveland. And I take our special little Steps to Christ books that have, have the covers changed for the motorcycle. Ministry that Pastor Tom Hughes had de- designed. <clears throat> and I meet people and plant seeds there. Ministry information's inside if they ever want us for anything. There's nothing to it. But it's a funny thing beginning to happen, beginning to have more people turn me down than I used to never. I went, went years with just one person ever saying no. But there are other people, friends, who appreciate and need the help. The last time I was there, I was down to two books. A woman came by. I just hung up with my wife, saying, I've only got two more books. I'll be done in a minute. I'm going home. She started buying. I called her attention. I said, Give you a free book. She said, Oh, thank you. And uh, she started some conversation. I got lost now. Of course, I do that, but don't remember what she was saying. <clears throat> but as I replied, she said, That's funny. And I thought, What on earth did I say that was funny? So I said, What did I say that was funny? She said, oh, no, I'm sorry. She said, uh, it's funny that taking this book made me feel better. I said, oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. She said, I've been crying all morning. I said, I'm sorry. Don't cry. God's got it. It's in, God's in control. Everything be all right. She said, I've been in oncology all day, and they want to do this infusion thing on me. So we exchanged tears and stories and hugs, and that was a beautiful day, some of the highest of highs. I don't know where it's going, but she's interested in the book, I can tell. And she's desperate now. But I was able to share my story of victory over cancer and, and that stuff that they did and saved me 30 years ago. Of course, it was God who decided to go through the regular route of medicine. He could, have, he could have healed me right there on the spot. But I didn't ask for no details. I just asked to be healed. I didn't want to see my sons grow up with their mother and without me. So we're late, and I'm going to tell you this. Our hearts, friends, that's where it is. All the discipline that's necessary to be a good Seventh-day Adventist will be found if our heart is transformed. Will be natural if our heart is transformed. Will not be a labor if our heart is transformed. If doing things for God seems to be a labor, friends, we need to go back to the restart button, which is on our knees. Because He's a loving God and He'll never turn us away. Amen. He'll never turn us away. Let's pray and get it, get it over with here, friends. <clears throat> Father, we will thank You, Lord. Thank You for the beautiful Sabbath, the truth of the Sabbath, Lord. We thank You, Father, that You have given us an opportunity to be part of Your mission, Lord. We understand that you're angels and you could convert all the hearts that are going to be converted without one human being helping. But we thank you today, friends, of Lord, because you use us like friends and give us the ability to be part of your saving power. Oh, Lord, it's all in you, but a part of that process, you involve us and it brings us to the highest of highs. Father in heaven, we'll remember those highest of highs. And Father, we thank you even for the lowest of lows. We thank you, Father, for the trials that come our way and for the the ability and opportunity to trust you more. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Help us to realize the urgency of the times. And if nothing else, since many people live in the country, inspire the hearts, Lord, to open the homes and have small prayer groups together in the home and begin to be ready for your return, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father, for all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.